Panda acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we work and live. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. Today's episode was produced on the lands of the Ghana, Gadigal, Wurundjeri, Yagara, Jugara and Ugarapul peoples. Now just a heads up that this episode is about intrusive thoughts and some of the things we talk about might be confronting. We've put the number for Panda and Lifeline in the show notes if you do need them. I kept thinking, I'm going to throw him on the road. So I didn't want to go out of the house because I was going to throw him on the road. I think I knew that I wouldn't, but I was scared that those thoughts might take over and I would do it. I remember one time um, my husband and I, we, he said, let's go for a walk, you know, fresh air. And I literally was walking out of the house with, with my son in the um, stroller. And I was just like concrete. I could not move. I could not walk out that front gate. Um, and he's like, what's, what's wrong? You know, come on. And I, I literally could physically not move. Um, you know, and to have something playing in your mind that is affecting you physically, it, it's scary. <laughs> really scary. Those unwanted thoughts popped out of nowhere after Donna's son was born, and she had no idea how to stop them. After my first son was born, I had them too. Thoughts that ranged from bizarre to outright terrifying just barge into my head for seemingly no reason, and I couldn't control them. For me, it was the first time I'd really ever had these kind of unwelcome visitors in my brain, and it wasn't until I started seeing a psychologist that I found out they have a particular name. They're called Intrusive Thoughts. I'm Gia, and this is Survive and Thrive, a podcast from Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, who you probably know as Panda. I think one of the worst things before I got some help was not knowing what the thoughts meant or why I was even having them. It was such a relief to discover sometimes those intrusive thoughts don't actually mean anything, and they're way more common than you think. Sometimes it can be a sign you're experiencing anxiety, and for a small group of new parents, they could be a sign of obsessive compulsive disorder. Now that's a pretty big spectrum, so how do you know where your thoughts land and when to get help? You'll hear from mental health clinician Danielle Pautos, who explains what intrusive thoughts actually are, what they mean, if anything, and the signs that they might be part of a bigger problem. For Donna, the more she learned about how her brain was reacting to the stress of becoming a parent, the more she realised her intrusive thoughts might be a sign of something bigger. My name is Donna um, and I have a nine-year-old son now and my husband, Simon. Um, we live in Sydney um, and we're older parents. I had my son at 42 and then in Bendigo was when um, we conceived. So, you know, family and friends were a good three hours drive away. Um, and I was working from home, um, you know, work and school and they're the places you meet people. So to build a network was very difficult. Donna, do you want to tell me about what your journey was like conceiving, particularly at that age? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, we've been together since I was 20, so it have been 20 wow. years. <laughs> Congratulations. <know>. Crazy. <laughs> um, but I'd never been on contraception and it was just whatever happens, happens. Um, obviously, it didn't happen uh, all that time. 
at the age of 40, I'm like, that ship has sailed. It's not going to happen for us. Cancelled all the high private health insurance, you know, resigned to the fact. And then at 42, boom, surprise. <laughs> um, so really an absolute blessing and an absolute beautiful surprise. But yeah, a surprise nonetheless. <laughs> How did that affect your mental health early on, do you think? Were, were, you, were you panicked? Were you worried going into your pregnancy? Not so much going into it. Um, I mean, I think we were in denial for the first three months, to be honest, <laughs> um, that, it, you know, oh, my gosh, it's happening to us. Um, probably more towards the end um, when, you know, you're getting bigger and there's you kind of think it's starting to play on your mind. What's, you know, I'm going to give birth. I'm going to have a small person, um, you know, I won't have someone to come and help me to, you know, relieve me if I get stressed or, you know, what do I do when hubby's at work and I'm at home by myself? Um, no mum popping in for visits and that sort of thing. So that, yeah, probably maybe the last six weeks of pregnancy was when it started to play on my mind. And also being older, so much negativity around that. You have a um, hostile womb, you have an advanced maternal age. <laughs> So every single time, like, you know, um, going to the toilet or whatever, like, am I bleeding? Am I okay? Like, is the baby okay? So literally on a daily, daily occurrence of like, you know, is everything okay? I'd get through the day and then the next day would start. Yeah. So it was, it was tiring. <laughs> Can you give me some examples, if you're okay, of some of the worst intrusive thoughts you had when your baby had arrived? So um, maybe about a, when he was a week old, I kept thinking, I'm going to throw him on the road. So I didn't want to go out of the house because I was going to throw him on the road. I think I knew that I wouldn't, but I was scared that those thoughts might take over and I would do it. So you're kind of in this real, like a twilight zone almost. You know, you know, that you're not going to do it. A sane person isn't going to do that. But when you're kind of thinking it constantly and ongoing and it's really causing an issue to be able to go out the house, yeah, <laughs> that's when it got bad. I remember one time... Um, my husband and I, we, he said, let's go for a walk, you know, fresh air. And I literally was walking out of the house with, with my son in the um, stroller and I was just like concrete. I could not move. I could not walk out that front gate. Um, and he's like, what's, what's wrong? You know, come on. And I, I literally could physically not move, um, you know, and to have something playing in your mind that is affecting you physically, it, it's scary. <laughs> really scary. So I became a bit of a hermit, um, you know, only went out when I had to, um, you know, not having a support system really was hard at that time too. What were your thoughts telling you at that time when you couldn't physically get out of the house? Danger. Literally my brain was just going danger, danger. <laughs> um, you know, don't, don't go out, keep yourself in a cocoon. Um, stay where you're safe, stay where your child is safe. Um, yeah, and just don't interact with the world. Thinking of it now, it's like, well, that that's pretty, you know, that's scary. <laughs> that that your the the brain can actually trick you almost into that, and you can't escape them, can you? When you're in that state, I don't know about you, but I, I know from my experience that when I would think about those thoughts and try and stop them, it, it would just make it worse, and more would come into my head, and even weirder ones would come yeah. into my head. I'm like, oh my god, just just, just stop. stop exactly. It, yeah, but it would almost elevate to another level. It, it would really, your whole brain was full of it um, unless you did that distraction. or But then it would still come back. You know, and nighttime was the worst. So when there was people around in daylight and you could hear things, it was fine. But it was that, you know, 3 a.m. feed where you'd just be there by yourself in the dark and 
yeah, you'd just be thinking and, you know, looking, thinking how I'm never going to harm this beautiful creature that I've created. But to actually think, you're like, why am I even thinking this? I shouldn't be thinking bad things, you know? And then that just gets you into that spiral, you know, down, down, down. <laughs> how did you find speaking to people about it? Did you tell anyone about it? Not, uh, not really. I mean, my mum was the one that was like, hang on, there's something wrong here. Um, but I kind of didn't have anyone like, you know, I, I, um, I have friends in Canada and I call, you know, she called me to congratulate me and I broke down and I'm like, I don't feel right, you know, cause you think everyone's, you know, had a fabulous time at motherhood and I don't want to, you know, be a downer on their parade. <laughs> you know. Was there anything that really helped you stop the thoughts or was it out of your control? Um, my big circuit breaker was getting in the shower, water, like, um, water seemed to kind of, or even like I'd go and do the dishes just to be immersed in some sort of water. That's kind of the circuit breaker for me and continues to be on my mental health journey. Um, yeah. So I'd sort of just get in the shower and just let the water run over me. And that really was that circuit breaker. I could almost breathe properly. I felt calm. It brought me a sense of calm. Um, and then I'd you know, turn my thoughts to something else and let's try and get positive, you know, um, but yeah, in the, I would have showers at 2am some mornings because I just was so just almost sweating from the, the stress of it all. When did you get some professional help for the intrusive thoughts? So the first lot of professional help was the maternal and child health nurse that she would, she came to the house three times in kind of the first two weeks. Um, and my mum was there for one of the visits she had come up um, and she's pulled her aside and said, look, I don't think that that it's right. There's something kind of wrong here. Um, and so she was speaking with me. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and then she's like, no, no, you're not. So they literally put me back into the uh, maternity ward at Bendigo Hospital. So my son was just under three weeks old and I was kept there um, basically as a psych patient. My son, obviously, as a, um, you know, as a baby, but on in my room and then um, I got a place at the Werribee Mercy mother baby unit. Yeah, so he was a day, uh, the day before he turned three weeks old. Right. So you got help early. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I mean, thank goodness. I'd never, you know, thought of myself as having any mental health issues prior to that. But obviously, since you know, since all of that, and another stay in a mental health unit since. I, yeah, there were issues that obviously weren't diagnosed, but with that pregnant, with pregnancy, a child, someone else that you're fully responsible for, it just heightens it. Okay. So Donna, you got through the perinatal period, um, obviously with some challenges, but you got through these intrusive thoughts and then OCD. Can you tell me a little bit about how that played out or how that flared up for you? So coming out of um, the mother-baby unit, I was put onto um, medication and then went that off that when my son was about 16 to 18 months old. Um, got a job three days a week and, you know, life was good. Um, and then we moved from Bendigo to Sydney. Again, any support network that I had set up, um, you know, the mother's group that I had, they were lovely. I got a lovely group of mums there to support me. That was kind of, again, taken away, no support network. Um, and my husband um, lost his job when we got to Sydney. It was all very, yeah. Um, but he then got a job in Hobart. 
And he said, well, we don't want to move again. I'll just fly in, fly out for six months, my probation period. So I was by myself with a two-year-old through the week, Monday to Friday. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it kind of, it, it got wearing, it got tiring being an older mum as well, that it is tiring. <laughs> and I remember like I'd be driving home like, or driving to get him from daycare thinking there's no one else that knows if I have a crash, no one knows that he's there to be picked up. And then if they call the emergency number, he's in Hobart and my mum's in Melbourne and there's literally no one here. And um, and yeah, and so I'm driving and I'm thinking, don't be stupid. You're driving. You're going to not be able to concentrate on the road and it is going to happen. <laughs> so that kind of, but then it really got to a point, um, one day when I was driving home and I thought, I'm going to run us into a tree. I want to run into a tree. And like, I, st- I literally, I stopped the car. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, got home. My husband had actually come home from Hobart by then and had another job. Um, and I called him. I said, you have to get home. I'm not well. He's like, what? What do you mean? I said, get home right now. I put me and my son to bed and just lay there until he got home. So then, um, when I woke up, I went into the Sydney clinic, which is a mental health hospital. That's when I was diagnosed with OCD. And it just took this weight off my shoulders. (laughs) And I'm like, that explains so much of my life. So much of my childhood, going through, you know, adolescence and pregnancy, it explains so much. <laughs> um, and then I was able to, okay, now this is why it's happening. So you think you must have had this your whole life? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always been a very organized person. And when I was a child, um, I would always have to have the TV or radio on 5, 10, 15, 20, like volume. It couldn't be anything in between because something bad was going to happen. But being a child, I probably didn't know how to to really react to that or I didn't kind of know what that really meant. It was just something bad. Um, and then as I sort of grew older, um, you know, walking around shopping centres, so a shopping centre, maybe two or three storey that has a void in the middle and I'd always have to walk on the side of the shops because if I was on the other side, I thought I might throw myself over. Um and yeah, kind of just out of the blue, kind of a thought would pop into your head and just, it, it scares you. But then when I started to think about the, you know, the throwing myself over the thing and and not, you know, sort of going into the water because I thought I was going to drown, that that's when it's like, mm, this is this is an issue. This isn't a normal intrusive thought, shall I say. <laughs> Looking back, what is the one thing you wish that you had known about intrusive thoughts? I suppose that they can happen. and. They're normal. I mean, probably, you know, 90% of people in the world do have intrusive thoughts at some time or another. Um, you know, it's just the the level of, um, or I suppose, how mild or moderate or really huge they are. Um, yeah, that, that they're normal and that, or that they could be part of a bigger issue, you know, that they could be part of the OCD, the ADHD or some other kind of issue. Yeah, and then... Obviously, you could then put two and two together, go and seek help and see if you have that issue or if you need help. It took Donna a long time to decipher exactly what her intrusive thoughts meant. And a lot of that boils down to the fact that it's really hard to know when a thought crosses the line. Perinatal mental health clinician Danielle Paltos helps new parents figure that out all the time. 
In fact, she's so passionate about this that she squeezed our interview into her busy day in a tiny room with a bit of background noise, so the audio here isn't ideal, but what she has to say about intrusive thoughts is invaluable, so please stick with us. Here's how Danielle makes that distinction. So when we think about what an intrusive thought is, for it to be intrusive, typically it feels unwelcome and unwanted. The thought can make you feel really anxious. It might appear repeatedly in your mind. So it's got this recurrent, unwanted and really distressing sort of quality to it. Um, sometimes it can be thoughts to you. Other times it could be an image or an impulse. Um, and sometimes those thoughts can have a perceived level of risk or threat associated with them. And I, one of the, the, the things to kind of hold in mind is that these thoughts typically just don't align with how a parent views themselves or their personal values or their self-identity, and they often target the things that they cherish the most, which is probably where the stress kind of comes from. Speaking from experience, intrusive thoughts can be quite confronting and terrifying and be really a really isolating experience. How common are intrusive thoughts for new mums and dads? The interesting thing about that is there's been multiple studies in recent years and longitudinally that have let us know that these intrusive thoughts, including thoughts of harm coming to your baby, are really common for new parents. So, you know, it's important that we remember that we're not our thoughts and that they come and go and that new parents are not alone in experiencing them. I guess when you're in that moment, though, you just, yeah, you definitely feel alone and you feel like, wow, there is something seriously wrong with me. And I think there's a level of sort of a stigma and shame that a lot of new parents will internalise around those thoughts because they don't align with how much they love their babies and how committed they are to their, to their parenting journey. So if it is so common, is it always a sign of a mental health issue? No, it's not. So, you know, there's been lots of studies that show that intrusive thoughts are really common for new parents. You know, the difference between those thoughts and thoughts that we might sort of put more in a um, obsessive compulsive disorder category or OCD category, uh, that, um, it's more about the way the thoughts are interpreted, not that they're happening in the first place. So it seems that these unwanted thoughts can range from quite mild and harmless to severe and even dangerous. I can touch on my own experience briefly. Um, basically, I had many intrusive thoughts, but particularly in the early months with my first son. Um, I remember one night standing at the doorway of his room and stopping in my tracks because I thought he was staring at me in a really like haunting kind of way, like he was possessed or something. Um, now, I was instantly able to recognise that I was sleep deprived and it was just my mind playing tricks on me, but it was still pretty terrifying. Um, but for me, probably the worst thought I had was when I had my two eldest boys in the car and I was going through an intersection. Then out of nowhere, I had a vivid image of a car slamming through that intersection and crashing into us. Um, now, it wasn't at all that I wanted that to happen. It was just a scarily vivid image that took over me at that moment and scared the absolute hell out of me. But um, I guess after hearing some other parents' experiences, like Donna, who we interviewed for this episode, um, where she was so scared that something horrible would happen to her baby that she couldn't even leave the house, I feel like my thoughts, um, I guess in retrospect, were relatively mild. 
But how do we know when these thoughts are problematic? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a really great question and it's, it's, it's a hard one to quantify and that all these thoughts exist on a continuum. You know, we know all new parents are going to experience them and just because they're common doesn't mean that they're not incredibly distressing. Yeah. Um, so my thoughts around that is if it's causing you distress and affecting your sense of self as a parent, affecting how you perceive your relationship with your baby or your children and your relationship with the, your loved ones, then it's important that you get the support you need and deserve. Um, but also it is common that these thoughts kind of come up. So at the mile end, they can look like a fear of making the wrong decision a parent, as a parent, but at the extreme end, it's an overwhelming anxiety for some mums that they might be the ones that, that harm their babies. So sometimes they might even, you know, avoid connecting with their baby to, to protect their infant from those scary thoughts. How do we know when an intrusive thought is perhaps a sign of something more like obsessive compulsive disorder? Um, so I guess the difference between the intrusive thoughts and OCD um, is not the, the thoughts are there, but it's the way that they're interpreted. So OCD can develop when a parent typically comes to fear that the presence of those thoughts might mean that they have a wish to harm their baby, despite having no intention. I think typically what kind of tips it over into that threshold is when the cycle that a parent might feel stuck in um, becomes really difficult to step out of. So there's the intrusive thought or the obsession comes into your mind and then to neutralise the perceived risk or to reduce the distress felt by that thought in the moment, a parent might engage in a compulsion which you know, we might talk about as an action, an associated action. But unfortunately, the relief is only temporary. So then they kind of get stuck in this noticing an intrusive thought and then feeling the urge to act along um, to follow through with a compulsion to make things feel safer and less scary. I spoke to a gorgeous mum a little while ago where she couldn't bathe their baby anymore because she just had this overwhelmingly intrusive thought that she might unintentionally or deliberately drown her baby. And this was absolutely the opposite of how much she adored her baby and wanted to protect her and keep her safe. So she couldn't bathe her bumps anymore. And she started distancing herself from a lot of those practical day-to-day -day sort of parenting tasks that are not only practical, but they're, they're bonding. They're the foundations of that connection. Gosh, that's terrifying. You think of people and it already is so hard to speak up when you're having weird sort of thoughts or if you're feeling anxious or you've, you're going through depression, you don't want to, to speak up a lot of the time because you're worried about someone perhaps taking your baby or thinking you're not fit to be a mother. Um, so I can imagine some of these women going through or having some of those thoughts and thinking, wow, like I really can't tell anyone about this because what's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely, because there's so much fear that um, the thoughts will be misconceptualised or misunderstood by health professionals. And there's also that kind of stigma and guilt and shame we're so vulnerable to internalising as women and as mums that, that keeps us feeling like it's not okay to talk to them. What separates OCD and general anxiety? Say somebody that just sort of feels anxious, perhaps they haven't been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, but they feel anxious. You know, you've got a baby at home and you like doing things in a certain way. You like to keep the house really clean. You might feel a bit anxious when the house isn't cleaned in a certain way, but once you've been able to clean the home, you'll feel calm, settled, content, and you'll move on.
With OCD, there is no ongoing relief and things won't feel calm after the house has been cleaned. So obsession compulsion cycle just goes on repeat. Can you overcome OCD? Like how is OCD treated? That would look like going along to your GP and talking to them about these scary thoughts and the GP can refer you to see a mental health professional um, and you can get some support through your talk therapy. Um, And there's also the option of medication available. Some women will find talk therapy more than enough. Others will find the combination of medication prescribed by a GP or mental health professional alongside the therapy is helpful. But there are lots of ways you might manage the, the milder, intrusive, thoughts and I'm happy to kind of talk about that a little bit. So one of the things you can do is firstly just talking about them to normalize them and realize you're not alone with these types of thoughts. You know, instantly we can feel less isolated and when we're less isolated as humans, we're interconnected beings, we feel less scared. In in terms of the psychological strategies, you might um, find it helpful to just notice and name the intrusive thoughts as they pop up in your mind and just telling yourself. So you're kind of coaching yourself there or telling yourself, this is just an intrusive thought. They're common. This doesn't define me as a personal parent. And remembering that even if they've got an emotional charge to them, it doesn't mean that they're an indication that you want to act on them. We would really encourage people to try and do something that feels grounding and soothing as those thoughts pass on through. So I guess, you know, we talk about some strategies that might be helpful, but really if it's feeling too overwhelming, the kindest thing you can offer yourself is sharing your thoughts with the people you love and going to speak to a GP or a mental health professional and getting the care that you need and deserve. Do you feel like there is a misconception in society about what OCD actually is? I feel that, you know, society often views OCD as something that has this really visible kind of pattern, the repetitive compulsions. You know, typically we might think of it as tapping objects a certain number of times, cleaning obsessively or ritualistic behaviours like repeating certain words or counting or following a strict routine. Um, But it can also be more about the mental ruminations. And and often that's the main symptom for women, particularly in the the postnatal phase. Um, and they're harder to see, they're harder to quantify and they're more easily missed by the routine kind of maternal child health nurse or GP visits that a parent might um, engage in in those early postnatal weeks. I, I also think that because of the, the level of anxiety that you mentioned, Gia, around parents worrying that the scary thoughts of wanting to harm their baby might result in Um, some sort of intervention where a baby's taken away, then that means that that part of the experience is less kindly talked about. The way we talk about our mental health is crucial if we ever want to reduce the stigma that keeps people quiet about what's really going on inside their heads. And if we have a better, more nuanced understanding of the conditions like obsessive-compulsive disorder, more people will feel empowered to seek help. Donna has heard all those flippant comments about OCD and she thinks it can minimise how serious the condition can be. It's kind of become a almost like a laughing, oh, you've got OCD, but you don't say to someone, oh, you're bipolar, oh, you're schizophrenic, or you're, you know, it, you know OCD seems to be the one that um, 
that is kind of picked up and yeah, and mm, sort of moved around. Off. Yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah, I think also because I think the community at large, their understanding is that it's about being organised and pragmatic and having to have routines and things, um, where it is a lot more than that. So probably the if edu- people were educated more, then they may think, oh, no, I'm not going to say that person's OCD because I actually know what it really means. <laughs> What would you say is your most joyful part of parenting? Oh, wow. I've been thinking about that. So, I mean, just off the cuff, like the, when you just hear, I love you out of the blue, like for no reason, not because you've done something, you know, they run up to you and just give you the big hand and say, I love you. That just, you know, that that's kind of one off the cuff. But I think the real joy for me is really knowing that I'm helping this little person, um, you know, and helping them and shaping them so that they can hopefully be like a kind and respectful adult. That's really the joy that I get from it, that that I'm, you know, giving them all the skills and the abilities and, you know, every opportunity just to be kind. Survive and Thrive is a podcast from Panda. Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, an accredited mental health service. You'll find all the links and information you need in the episode notes, wherever you're listening. But just a reminder, if you are a new or expecting parent, you can call Panda's free national helpline from Monday to Saturday on 1300 726 306. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in a life-threatening emergency, call 000. The experts featured on this Survive and Thrive podcast are not Panda clinicians, but valued partners. Any opinions and advice is their own and not representing Panda. Panda recognises the individual and collective contributions of people with a lived or living experience of mental health issues, their families, loved ones and supporters. Every story informs how we care for people and their community. Survive and Thrive is produced by Deadset Studios for Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. Don't forget there are lots more episodes in your podcast feed, so hit follow in your favourite podcast app.